Welcome to Do The Dang Thing. Today we're going to be talking about inductions. Doula Dang Thing podcast is not recommended for medical advice. If you have a medical issue, please contact your care provider. Hi, I'm Ashley. I'm your doula, and I'm here with Natasha, my sister. Hello. Natasha has some questions about inductions today. Yeah, like what technically is an induction? Great question, (laughs) Natasha. My question is, um, what is that? (laughs) Yeah, so it is any kind of way that they use to make your labor start medically. So that can mean a membrane sweep, which is when they go up through your vagina with their fingers. And if you're already a little bit dilated and they can get their fingers up through your cervix, they pull away your amniotic sac away from the uterus wall, which then releases hormones to start labor. Oh my God, that makes me want to cry. That sounds terrible. It's not comfortable. It's not like the worst, but it's definitely not comfortable. And there are a lot of risks associated with it. Like they could accidentally break your water. And then when your water is broken, you're more susceptible to infection. It works about half the time, but it is an option if if you want to get this party rolling. Also, they give you what's called prosclandins. It's a hormones it's a synthetic hormones that they put into your vagina to soften your cervix to get you ready for opening up dilation it's kind of like a tampon kind of thing filled with medications that they stick up there or like a pill or something like that it's not like an injection or anything they also use what's called mechanical dilation so they'll take what's called a balloon catheter or some sort of uh, bulb fully bulb something like that They fill it with water. They put it up first. They put it in your vagina up next to your cervix, and then they fill it with water, and then the pressure on your cervix is thought to help open it up. That is not very comfortable either. I mean, nothing in birth is that comfortable, honestly. (laughs) Wow, here we are, keeping it real. Yeah, it's not comfortable. Um, most of your nerve endings in your uterus are actually located in your cervix. So having that bulb up there doesn't usually feel that good. And then they also do what's called pitocin. So that's a synthetic form of oxytocin that they inject through an IV, or they can even give you a shot of it also. Uh, it is the main one that they use if they're trying to get labor going. But they also will sometimes use all of those things together. Okay. So is there an order in which they start? Do they start with Pitocin? If that doesn't work, then they go to just fingering up and then... So usually they'll start with a membrane sweep because that's just something quick they could do in the office. You don't have to be in the hospital to do that. So they'll, they'll do that if you're like at your appointment and they're like, okay, well... You know, you're dilating a little bit. Do you want to do a membrane sweep to get this party rolling? And you can have you have the right to say yes or no. That is your choice, definitely. And if they're pushing you, push back. But anyway, they'll <laughs> they'll do that. And um, then if that doesn't work, they'll have you come into the hospital for an induction if you need an indu- induction, which we'll talk about that also because that's I'm very passionate about this. You'll see. <laughs> This might be a long one, everybody. I felt your passion, but don't really know anything about it. So this one's going to be good. I'm going to learn a lot. Okay, great. So uh, 
they'll, if you need something after the membrane sweep and you need an induction, they'll have you go into the hospital. Your cervix has to be ripe, they call it, which means softened. When your cervix is not ready for labor, it's closed tightly and it's hard and it can't dilate unless it is softened. So they call it ripening the cervix. So that's where the prostaglandins come in, the hormones that they put in your vagina that help to ripen the cervix. Semen also has prostaglandins in it. That's why you've heard the, the old wives' tale, like have sex and you will go into labor. Oh, interesting. There's not a lot of studies about that. All of like the natural induction methods, most of them are, there's no studies or very few studies. And so you can try it. There's no, it's not going to harm anything unless your doctor has said don't have sex. Mm -hmm. It's not going to hurt anything. So you can try that if you're looking for a more natural way to induce labor. And then the mechanical dilation, some hospitals just do that for everyone. They'll just, you come into the hospital, even if you went into labor by yourself, they'll just put a, put a Foley bulb up there or a balloon catheter and just wait, just wait until your cervix dilates so they could take it out. It usually comes out at around when you're like six centimeters dilated. You can always say no to that also. You can say no to any of this. If your cervix is not ripe, they will do the prostaglandins and the mechanical dilation first, and then they will start the Pitocin. Pitocin will not work if your cervix is not soft. They should take what's called a Bishop's score, which measures if you're ready for an induction or not, like if your body's going to um, respond to it well. So sometimes Pitocin doesn't work. Pitocin doesn't work like a magic thing. It's not like they put you on Pitocin and then an hour later you have your baby. Sometimes it takes a very long time for it to kick in and for your labor to start. An induction can take days sometimes to kick in. So be prepared for that if you need an induction. Depending on what's happening, they may or may not have like nice food policies. So you might not be able to eat uh, different things like that. So make sure you know what to expect going in there. Talk to your care provider, talk to the hospital, what are their policies, get to know all of that information so that way you know if you are waiting for a long time, what the rules are, what you're going to have to fight them on, and you know how that's going to go down because you should be able to eat. <laughs> There's no reason not to do it. Okay, what is the reason why somebody would be induced? Medical reasons are a great reason to be induced and it ends up saving lives and it's an amazing tool to use if you medically need an induction. So what that means is if you have high blood pressure, preeclampsia, gestational diabetes, cholestasis, which is like an issue with your liver, it makes you like all itchy. If your baby is big, which we'll talk about that, if you're going past your due date, that can also be a reason for induction. Uh, the placenta can no longer sustain the metabolic needs of, a, of the baby once it gets past a certain size. And so when we go past our due date, baby keeps growing, there's a higher chance of stillborn. If you have any pelvic abnormalities, like your pelvis doesn't move right, or it's, you know, maybe you had an accident and it's fused somewhere or something like that, that would be a, a great reason to get medically induced. If your water broke and you're having some signs of infection, then you probably need to be induced if they wouldn't just do a C-section, depends. When your water breaks, that doesn't mean you have to have the baby right away. 
Just want to throw that out there. What does it mean? It means you're at a higher risk. There are more risks. But I know people whose water has broken and they've been on bed rest in the hospital for months keeping their babies in. You know, like premature rupture of membranes, like when they're preemies. And they, they have water, their water broken for months and it's okay. So it's keeping an eye on your temperature, any signs of infection, anything like that, any issues with the baby, you know, like heart rate issues, stuff like that. But your body does create more fluid, more amniotic fluid. So it just depends on what's going on. You don't always have to have the baby if your water broke. I say that if you have a big baby, macrosomia it's called, if you have a big baby, which is only about 6 to 10% of babies, that's when a, your baby is between 9 and 10 pounds. Oh my gosh, that's us. Yeah, we were big babies. <laughs> Look at us now. <laughs> I know, it's so funny. But they want you to give birth before your baby gets super big because there's a risk of their shoulders getting stuck. It's called shoulder dystocia or dystocia of something. You know, something gets stuck because the baby's big. But the interesting thing is when you're in medically induced with Pitocin, you're at a higher risk of having shoulder dystocia. It's safer for you to give birth without being medically induced, but a lot of their reason, reasons for inducing labor is because your baby is, quote, big. Why are you at higher risk if you've got Pitocin? Because when you use Pitocin, your contractions are longer, stronger, they're more painful, you're more tense, they don't stop, they don't come in waves as, as well as when you have the natural oxytocin in your body. And the doctors sometimes pump up the jam on the level of that and they give you too much too fast and then your body becomes desensitized to the, to the Pitocin. Your receptors stop recognizing it. They're like, look, we've had enough of this. And then that causes a whole other thing of issues. So when you're getting induced, if it's not medically necessary, it can be very dangerous. Because your body, you know, a lot of times labor will stall or it will slow down or like something will keep it from continuing on in the same way it's been. But your body is doing that for a reason. So when you're in the hospital and they say, oh, your labor slowed down. Do you want to get some Pitocin so we can speed this up? And you say, yeah, sure. <laughs> well, there was a reason why your body slowed down. Mm -hmm. It was either because you were anxious, stressed, tired. Or any of those emotions, because your emotions do affect your hormones and vice versa. And so when you're feeling scared or stressed or anxious, your body says, uh oh, birth is not safe. We're in a dangerous situation. It's like in caveman times, right? Mm -hmm. If you were giving birth to a baby and you were in a dangerous situation, your body would stop your labor so you can go to a safe place. So when you are saying, oh, okay, well, yeah, let's just forget all that and let's just like pump up the jams on this. I keep saying pump up the jams. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know where that's coming from, but our 90s upbringing. <laughs> yeah, we're just so cool. But when you do that, you're not fixing the problem. Mm -hmm. 
So if you're tense and stressed and then you get Pitocin, which makes it more painful and your contractions last longer, are you going to be relaxed or are you going to be tense? Mm -hmm. But I still don't understand. Like, I understand all that. That makes sense. I don't understand how getting Pitocin would lead to a shoulder dislocation or whatever. Shoulders. It it gets stuck. Dystocia. Dystocia. Or dystocia. It doesn't. So, okay, I'm I'm not done. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm getting there. Okay. So when another reason why your labor can stall is because your baby is in a difficult position. It hasn't had a chance to properly turn and it hasn't had a chance to get in the right spot to get around your pubic bone. So when when your baby is in a bad position, or not a bad position, but a difficult position, your body will sometimes allow you to rest. So baby can wiggle around and get in a better position. When you say, oh, labor stalled, something is, is wrong, we got to fix it, let's give you more medication, let's turn up the p- Pitocin, I almost said pump up the jams again. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's going to put that song on after this oh, yeah. podcast. When, you, when they turn up the Pitocin, when your baby is in a difficult position, it doesn't allow for the baby to turn properly. It doesn't give the baby time to move. And so it's being pushed down by your uterus and it gets stuck. Okay. Now, there are different positions you can use to, to fix that. Lots of different positions. But when you're forcing your body to give birth, when it knows something is not right, we are forcing it to do something that is harmful. Mm-hmm. Sometimes your uterus needs a break and your body will recognize that and it will stall your labor. When your uterus has too much action, there's too much going on, it gets tuckered out. And that is very dangerous. It can cause hemorrhaging after labor. And it's, it's just very dangerous not to have a well-rested, ready uterus. So when you're pumping your body full of Pitocin and you don't get much break in between and it just keeps coming and coming and coming, your body is going to get tired. Your uterus is going to get tired. And afterwards, we talked about before when you give birth, after you give birth, your body, your uterus continues to contract in order to stop the bleeding after birth. Well, if your uterus is just like, I'm so tired, I can't do any more, what happens afterwards once your placenta detaches and you have that open wound in your uterus that needs to be clamped on to, to stop the bleeding? And then if you already had a bunch of Pitocin going through your system and then the doctors are like, okay, her uterus isn't contracting, let's give her Pitocin. But you already had so much that your receptors are not sensitive to it anymore. Then what happens? Scary. Yeah. Okay. I will say Pitocin is amazing if you need it. If you do not, the risks do not outweigh the benefits. Let's talk about the benefits a little bit more because I don't want people who do need it to be scared to get it. So the benefits of being induced are if it's medically necessary, it's going to save your life and it's going to save your baby's life. And what better benefits do you need? 
But the other benefits are if your doctor has a scheduling conflict and they won't be able to be there, but if you were induced, they could guarantee their presence. Um, that's, that could be an option. Or if you have a scheduling conflict and you want to make sure you know when you're giving birth, then you can schedule an elective induction. But that comes with risks. So you have to decide, is the scheduling issue worth the risks that are associated with it? That's fair. If your baby is not going to make it unless you get induced, that's amazing. Yes, get induced. And it's going to be great. Same thing with getting a C-section. If you need that, if that's medically necessary, what an amazing thing that you get to do. You get to save your life. You get to save your baby's life by doing that. And no birth is without risk, of course. It's always risky. But when we can choose, pick and choose what we do to minimize the risk as much as possible, that's when everything works the way it's supposed to. All of these interventions, all of these things were created because doctors wanted to make birth safer for everybody, safer for the pregnant person, safer for the baby. They, they created these things for good reasons, and they work. They work great. But when you don't need them, they add an extra layer of risk that doesn't need to be there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it's kind of like plastic surgery, right? Like it was, just, it was created for war veterans, and now it's like, oh, I don't really like my nose. I'm going to fix it. That's a great example. Okay. So it's like it's, you know, it's your choice. You mm-hmm. can choose what you want to do. You can choose to schedule an induction even if you don't necessarily need one. But it does add an extra layer of risk. Okay. Cool. Are there any what are the reasons that a doctor would tell you like, "Hey, we're going to we're going to give you pitocin because XYZ." And what are the reasons that will be clear for somebody who doesn't want it unless it's necessary to say no to? And when will they say, okay, cool, let's do it? So doctors are really, really afraid of the baby getting stuck. A lot of like the litigation suits and all that stuff that come from issues from birthing situations were because the baby got stuck. So they're going to play it really safe. They're going to be extra cautious if they even think your baby might be a little bit on the big side, they're going to recommend an induction. So ask questions. If you don't want an induction, say, okay, why do I need this? What happens if I don't get this? Is this going to be a problem? Like, you know, just get into their head and see why they're saying what they're saying. Then you can make an educated decision together. I will say that with current ultrasound technologies, they cannot very accurately guess the size of your baby. They can be really? any yeah, they can be anywhere from 15 to 20% off, which is pounds off. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind when they're saying, "Wow, this baby's huge." <laughs> Remember that they might not be huge. They they might come out and they'd be totally normal size. Somebody told me the other day they were 13 pounds when they were born. Wow. He's not even a big guy. <laughs> Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> Little chunky monkey. Yeah. And b- big babies are born vaginally all the time. It's not impossible. What is that wiggle room? So, like, if 
the doctor is saying like you're measuring at 10 pounds or you're measuring at week 42 and like you're mm-hmm. at, like how how does a mother kind of manage making that decision safely for herself well it's just remembering that they could be 15 to 20 percent off in their estimation so that means they could be bigger too right or do you think they'll usually give you the higher number I don't know. I would assume they'd give you the higher number because they're going to be on the cautious side and they want everyone to be safe. They want Mm -hmm. good outcomes because it's better for them. It's better for their careers. It's better for their pocketbook. It's better for everything. So they want everybody to be safe. So I don't want, I don't want to make it sound like I'm saying doctors are like forcing everybody to do crazy stuff that, you know, is not safe. Yeah. But they do side on, inducing instead of allowing things to happen naturally okay induction rates are it's like half half of pregnancies are being induced that's a lot that's a lot and do you know what percentage of that is like medically Medically? necessary i don't know the exact numbers but i do know that it's gone up i don't know like 20 30 percent in the past few decades so it's gone up really fast. Now, they they do think that because people are less healthy, they're having more high blood pressure, they're having more gestational diabetes, um, obesity is on the rise. All of those things are contributing to the inductions because the babies are getting bigger. But who knows? Because they don't really let them give birth. So it's hard to to say which is safer. Mm -hmm. Is there any, I mean, we've been talking about doctors. Are these stats the same if you were at a birthing center with a midwife? Nope. Midwives have better outcomes. They have less inductions. They have lower C-section rates. They have lower mortality rates. All of those things are lower when you don't use so many interventions. That's statistically speaking, but every care provider every hospital every birthing center has their own rates of induction and has their own rates of c-section so make sure you ask them specifically what their rates are how often they induce people how often they have they perform c-sections and all of that stuff i i mean i all the things you're saying makes sense but i think when we talk about the difference between midwives and doctors and we say like they have better outcomes but can't you only go to a midwife if you're not a high-risk pregnancy. So, like, is that factored into these stats? It is, yeah. Okay. So they take they look at low-risk uh, patients with the doctors, and then they look at, obviously, low-risk patients with the midwives because you can't really have a midwife unless you're low-risk. And midwives still come out on top as far as statistics go. Okay. So what is, so the reason, if you were with a midwife, you would only be getting Pitocin if you were medically, it was medically necessary, or can they administer Pitocin? Yeah, so that just depends on the situation, because like I said, there are times when you do need Pitocin, and you do need either uh, induction or augmentation of labor, so if your labor's already started and it's not going anywhere, sometimes you do need that little push. So that's why it's so important to find someone that you trust, that you can talk to and ask questions with, who respects what you want, 
and you feel comfortable and confident that they're going to make a decision that is the safest and most beneficial for you and your baby. Because it is hard. You think about, you know, being a doctor or a midwife. That would be really tough not to be a little biased. Like, you know what? It would be really easy if I just did this. It would be easy if I could just like get this baby out and then I get to go home. Mm-hmm. That would be really hard. I, I feel for them, honestly. It's an exhausting job. It's a hard job. So you go, doctors and midwives. Thanks for bringing us all into this world. Yeah, we appreciate all of you. Okay, so you talked a little bit about um, making sure you trust your doctor and having these collaborative conversations. You also mentioned in a previous episode that you might not always have the doctor that you chose at the hospital. True. When you're making these decisions, how do people kind of have that relationship or quickly build that trust in a situation where they're meeting this person for the first time? That's going to come from practicing being assertive. Because if the doctor you're stuck with is not as kind and uh, respectful as your doctor that you chose, you're still going to have to practice asking questions, saying what you want, and getting answers that you feel comfortable with. Don't let them give you, you know, a vague answer that doesn't answer your question. Say, well, that doesn't really answer what I was asking. Please elaborate on that. Or ask another question that gets you closer to what you need to hear. But that's going to come from you because you can't change how the doctor is going to respond to you or what they're going to say or do. But you can change how you respond to them and get what you need out of them. Advice for every day. (laughs) (laughs) Is there any, like, can you kind of talk about what happens to the body with Pitocin? Like, is it, I'm assuming it's a chemical process, right? So, like, what's happening? With Pitocin, it doesn't work exactly the same as oxytocin in the sense that it doesn't cross over to the blood-brain barrier. It doesn't cross over that. So you don't get the same like feel-good feelings you get from oxytocin. It doesn't increase endorphins in your body. It doesn't help you with any pain or discomfort. It just makes your body contract. Is there any need for Pitocin when you get an epidural? Are those linked in any way? Well, typically, Pitocin causes more epidurals because it is more painful. It's not impossible to give birth without an epidural on Pitocin, but it does hurt more because the contractions, like I said, are stronger, longer, and closer together. If you're choosing between an epidural or Pitocin, what would you choose? Oh, good question. Well, if you need medically need Pitocin, then choose Pitocin for sure. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now which one? Wow, Natasha, everything's perfect with your birth. I mean, it's going great. Do you want you... which one of these do you want? <laughs> well, if you're not wanting to feel the pain, then get the epidural. There's no reason to get Pitocin unless you medically need it. Okay, <laughs> like. <laughs> I feel like I'm sounding anti-Pitocin, but I think it's great when you need it. It's amazing. But if you don't, it doesn't make sense to have it. 
All right. And then getting and epidurals. Out. Epidurals can slow down your labor and stall your labor at first because they flood you with a bunch of uh, fluids. So that dilutes the amount of oxytocin in your blood. So in the, when you first get your epidural, it'll be like, wow, your labor's really stopped. Like we got to get you on Pitocin. That happens a lot. Okay. So if you get your epidural and your labor stops for an hour or so, that's okay. Wait for it to come back because they're pumping you with all kinds of fluids when you're on the epidural. So it's natural for your body to slow down or stop because you don't have the same amount of oxytocin in your system. Is there some sort of timeline, like a goal amount of time that doctors are kind of aiming for of like, okay, this is a realistic timeline for a birth? Yes, for sure. Is there a number that you know of or it's kind of differs from hospital to hospital? Yeah, so they're going to consider it a stalled labor and like, worry that you got to hurry up if you haven't dilated in a couple hours. So if you're having contractions, but nothing's happening, they're like, we got to give you Pitocin instead of thinking like, okay, well, why is nothing happening? (laughs) You Mm -hmm. know? And also some hospitals have a policy of like 24 hours. We need them out. So that is something that they don't always say, but something that, a lot of them are thinking when you're in there. Okay. That's helpful. Is there any non-medical ways to have the effects of an induced labor? There are very few studies about non-medical ways to induce labor because medicine brings more money and natural ways don't bring any money. So they don't do a lot of research on those, those things. Nipple stimulation has been shown to induce labor, but it also has been shown to make contractions too strong and be dangerous. So if you're going to do something like that, make sure you're under the care of a physician, midwife, doctor, somebody like that to make sure that everything's safe. Wait, what? It works so well to just touch your nipples that... I mean, not touching them, like (laughs) Like, stimulation, like like pinching, squeezing, pulling, like like rough stimulation on your nipples. That is unbelievable. Or like like using a pump or something like mm -hmm. that. Like, is it is it affected by like the amount? Can you just like soften up a little bit on the on the booby area? (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean? We're in a rare form today. <laughs> oh man, is it like? Can you just lighten up on them and then it, the like? Is it? I'm not asking. I think I get what you're saying. Wait, can you just like? Okay, I'm having strong contractions. Let me just like do it more gently. Yeah. <laughs> um. I don't know. I don't know. I would assume that since that's a a caveat that they put on it, that it's like not that easy. But I don't know. That is so wild to me. It's the same hormone. Yeah. Like when you're breastfeeding, oxytocin comes out. And when you're in labor, oxytocin. We have done studies on eating dates, which is interesting. 
So if you eat six dates a day after 36 weeks, it doesn't induce labor, but it does make you more likely to have a spontaneous delivery, which means a vaginal delivery. And it helps to tone your uterus. That's crazy. Big dates paid for that. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, dates for whatever reason. Yeah. They don't they're not a hundred percent sure why. I would assume there's like some nutrient in there that helps that happen. I have no idea, and neither do they. Interesting. Do you think that your babies were early because you loved bacon wrapped dates? <laughs> no, I didn't eat those when I was pregnant. But I do love those. But no, it won't induce like it won't start you or it won't make you go into preterm labor or anything like that. It's okay. it's not like that type of deal. It's just it gets your your uterus ready, I guess. I don't know. So there's no reason to not eat dates. No, they're, early they're on fine. Your pregnancy. Yeah, they're fine. They're not going to put you into labor. Um, and then they've also found that walking 20 to 40 minutes a day after 34 weeks makes you more likely to go into labor spontaneously. Okay. So go on a little date walk. Yeah. Eat, Eat your dates. dates. <laughs> Sister Jinx. <laughs> Eat dates, go on a walk. And there are a lot of other, they call them old wives tales, that say to that they induce labor. They're probably more anecdotal than anything. We don't really know because they haven't really been studied. But like eating spicy foods or castor oil, those two are because it gives you like diarrhea and all those crampings. They think, okay, well, the colon's cramping, then the intestines, the, the intestines are cramping. So then that's going to make the uterus cramp too. That's why they tell you to eat spicy foods and stuff like that. Sex, we talked about that, the prosclandids and the semen. So sex ideally would only work if, you know, there's no condom or anything like that because the semen has to touch the cervix. But even that hasn't really been proven, proven. It's just kind of like an idea, I guess, because they both have prosclandids. Mm -hmm. And when a woman orgasms, she releases prosclandids too, so... Sex, no condom with an orgasm is more likely to help than anything else as far as sex goes. You could try them. They're not, nothing, none of them are harmful really. It's just, might as well try. Oh, like stair walking or like curb walking is really common. There's no scientific evidence that that does anything, but it's exercise. So I guess it's cool. So if you're having sex, you shouldn't let anyone touch your nipples. No, I mean, don't let them, like, suck on your nipples like a baby would, like, for that long. But they can touch them. But honestly, when you're pregnant, they're usually really sensitive, like, sore. So you don't always want somebody touching them anyway. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> like, for Ow! many reasons. <laughs> All right. But yeah, rough sex, rough nipple play when you're pregnant can be dangerous. Find yourself a gentle lover. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> That's unbelievable to me. If you have a stalled labor, sometimes you can kiss, hug, anything that releases oxytocin. You can do nipple stimulation if your care provider says it's okay. All of those things can help. Lowering the lights, that that really helps very well because your body releases melatonin, which then helps assist with oxytocin, and all of them work together. 
just keeping calm, relax. That's what's going to get your labor going. Trying different positions, all that kind of good stuff. Okay, so essentially anything that makes you feel calm and lovey is going to be good. Yep. Okay. Very cool and very adorable. (laughs) If you do really need to be induced and it's medically necessary, I don't recommend trying the natural options unless you have some time because they're far less likely to work than Pitocin or any of the the medical induction methods. So if it happens that you medically need to be induced, definitely go with the medical options unless you have time to try those, the natural options first, but they're not, statistically speaking, they're not as, as likely to work as the medical ones. Does inducing labor ever not work? And then what happens then? Yep. Sometimes it doesn't work at all. And you can either go home if it was not medically necessary, or if you're like, well, I've been here for this long, I want this baby out, you can have a C-section. Okay. And is the step, if it is medically necessary, they try first to induce Mm -hmm. and then they go to C-section? Yes. Is there ever a situation where they would skip induction and go to C-section? Sure. Yeah. There's certain, you know, positions of the baby that can't be birthed. There's you know, if the baby has any sort of deformities or anything like that, they would need to be have a C-section. Um, if it's more of an emergency situation, it would be a C-section. So yeah, there's lots of reasons why you would need a C-section instead of an induction. Okay. And I will say that if you're in, you're getting induced and it's not working, you can always take a break. They can turn it off. And let you rest for a while. You don't have to like have the medication going the whole time. Do you feel it? Do you feel differently when it's on? Is it on a drip or is it? Yeah, it would be in an IV drip during an induction. Okay. And do you feel differently when it's on or off? Well, if it's if it's giving you contractions, then yeah. So if you're mm-hmm. if you're you know being induced and you have you're having contractions but nothing's dilating. Yeah, you're going to be exhausted and it's going to be really painful and all of this kind of stuff. And so you can always say, you know what, can we just turn it down? And sometimes your body takes over and we'll do it by itself. And sometimes you can just rest. Cool. Is there any situation? I'm sure there is. I feel like every birth is so different. But can you dilate and then undilate? Yes, that is possible, actually. And it's usually because... Either they're scared or nervous or anxious, or maybe they had to move locations and everything kind of changed. It can go backwards, but it doesn't mean that it's not possible to go back again. And it doesn't mean that it's going to take the same amount of time to get back again. But yes, it can go back. It just means that you need to regroup, relax, figure out what your body's asking for, Maybe there's somebody in the room that's making you uncomfortable or whatever it is. Figure it out, change it, and then you'll likely start to dilate again. It's just being patient. Okay. And when they check your dilation, that's very subjective. So if you have like two different people checking you and one says you're six centimeters and the other one says you're five, I mean, they're using their fingers to measure. They're just like estimating what they feel Oh, there's not like a tool or anything? No, they're just guessing what the size is. 
I had no idea. Why yeah. don't they have a little tool? You should invent one. Okay. It's <laughs> called a ruler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they just they put their fingers up there and they spread their fingers out and like guess how how many centimeters they think you are. Okay. I feel like that's really good to know and probably something that everyone's like, how does she not know this? But like, I do feel like if that, if somebody came in and told me I was six and then someone said I was five, I would feel defeated. Yeah, that would really suck. Okay. But yeah, it's just um, like what they felt. Cool. Yeah, they're not super accurate with the, the cervical checks. Like, it just kind of gives them an idea. Okay. So in a situation where somebody's like, you've stalled, that could potentially just be that one doctor said six and then the next doctor said six when it was seven? Yeah, I mean, it could be. Okay. It just depends. I'm learning that there's so much flexibility in everything around birth. Yeah, a lot. Which makes it very cool, but also as somebody who loves a plan, kind of overwhelming. Yeah, it can be very overwhelming. That's why it's so important to have a good team that you feel safe with. Because you are going to have to make decisions throughout your labor. That's a given. Things are never always the same. They're always different. And something's bound to come up. Doesn't mean a big thing will come up. But there will always be something that happens that you'll have to make a choice about. Mm Mm-hmm. Even if it's just like, do you want an epidural? Like if you're planning on going without one and they come in and say, well, do you want one? And you're like, ooh, I don't know. I'm in a lot of pain, but I didn't really want one. You have to make those choices, you mm-hmm. know? So there's always choices to be made. Say la vie. Yeah. The okay. goal is to get baby out. So however that has to happen, however that goes down, as long as you're the one who's choosing what's going on, you'll be at a lower risk of feeling traumatized by what happened, no matter what happened. It'll be okay. Great. Bottom line, birth, labor, parenthood in general, you need to have patience because it takes time. There's no rush unless it's an emergency. But when everything's working normally, we don't have to make it faster. That's not healthier to make it faster. Yeah, I think that's a great point because I do think there's some sort of pride in having your baby quickly. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean anything about how good you are at laboring or anything like that. It's just the way your body works. And, you know, sometimes things slow things down, you know, tensing up, baby being in odd positions, all of that stuff, and most of it is out of your control. So it doesn't matter how long it took as long as you get baby out. So there are pros and cons, and you just have to weigh that for yourself and your family. What, what is the benefit? What is the risk? Is that worth it for us? Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. Do you have any other questions, Natasha? I think that covers it all. Awesome. Well, this was cool. What'd you think? I mean, I learned a lot. I think this is the first episode where I'm sure you are like, you've done it before, but this is the first episode where I'm like giggling 
like uncomfortable about stuff like mm-hmm. contractions with nipples <laughs> okay. like there's things that made me like immature laugh okay um but it was good I learned a ton and I think there's so many words that you just hear and you are like you take them as knowing what it is like oh you're getting induced okay but I don't know about it. And so it's kind of nice to take a step back and be like, no, actually, what does that mean? And what are the risks and what are the benefits? So I thought this one was really helpful to me. Very cool. I love that. Yeah, there are a lot of words and things that we talk about when we talk about birth that make you immature giggle, like not you personally, but like just (laughs) Uh people in general, because, you know, it's all body stuff, body fluids, all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Yeah, until I get that. And it's all those like private words, like poop and boobs and vagina and yeah. you just laugh yeah. <laughs> like we, we could say that here <laughs> yeah you could say all the words cool right. well this was great if you want to learn more about induction check out supportedseason.com where my bump up birth method is available for you to take and learn from and uh, help to guide you through your birthing and labor process and also your entrance into parenthood and some coaching opportunities if you're interested in some one-on-one sessions with me. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope to see you next Wednesday. See you next week. Bye. Bye.